Nowadays, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not BS. Told in semantic. Special dedication, all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Sued in semantic. Yeah, man, Big up to the man, yeah. Sued in semantic. Welcome to the Soothing Semantics Podcast. I am your host, Rafi Pinsky. Make sure to subscribe, like, share, leave a comment. Let me know your thoughts. Today, we have Brian Bogert on the episode. I'll be dropping all of his socials. Uh, Brian has a wonderful channel. For any of you who haven't checked it out, he shares lots of knowledge, lots of information, talks a lot on the idea of using words, whether talking to yourself or to others uh, that impact your life. Um, also, I love what you, before we get into anything, I just watched your marriage video with you and, and Ashley, with you and your oh, wife. Yeah. It was an awesome episode, man. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm always better when my wife is present. That's a fact. Definitely, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have some marriage question, questions for you. I tend to ask my, my real estate, my older real estate clients for all that. They, uh, they give me the scoop. I mean, they give me the cliche stuff, loyalty, trust, happy wife, happy life, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I won't. I won't. I won't just give you the uh, the jargon around how to have a good marriage. I'll give you the nitty gritty of what it actually looks like to apply those principles, bro. Uh, you know, I think that's a big difference in the way that I communicate as well. It's just again, it's like I can I can give all like the terminology. I can stay at the surface level with with tactics and strategies, or we can actually get into the roots of what actually keeps people in those same patterns, right? So, bro, mm-hmm. like all of our conversation from this point forward, just trust. Like you're gonna get it real. And you're going to get, you're going to actually get some depth to the answer. Not just, uh, not just the buzzwords, right? Like I love happy wife, happy life, but what the hell does that actually mean? Right? Like, what does that Absolutely. mean? And it looks different in every single household and for every single wife. Right. So like we can hide behind that one statement or we can find a way to go a little deeper with each other. Absolutely. And that, that's where it gets so complex. So I definitely, you know, definitely wanted to go into certain topics because I definitely want to touch up Let's on that it, later. I'm here to follow um, your lead, man. I appreciate you, man. So hold on real quick. So in terms of, I noticed that you, I really liked what you mentioned the other day about should. Okay. Mm. And you said that should, should never really be in your vocabulary. Yeah. Because yeah, then- I'm not a fan of the word should. Um, you know where that comes from. I mean, here, here's the reality of it. We hear, we, we've heard that statement, like stop shooting all over yourself. Like, stop worrying about shoulds in the world. But, but I don't think sometimes we really give like the full context of like how damaging that word can be in our everyday language and how much it is such a part of our normal everyday language. Right. So, you know, I'll start with like where the concept kind of started. It's, it's, you know, we really are born as our most bright burning authentic light we will ever be. Anybody who's ever been around kids sees the rawness, the authenticity, the realness, the way that they interact with the world. Right. And then what happens? Parents, teachers, coaches, employers start saying, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be this. You shouldn't be that. You shouldn't chase this. You shouldn't chase that. You should make this amount of money. You shouldn't chase that amount of money. Right. And we start literally funneling people down into this little bucket until they become an empty vessel of who they once were. Here's the reality. Should is a shame-based word. It implies that whatever you're doing isn't good enough. Right. So whether someone else is telling you, you should do something or you wake up in the morning and said, I should have worked out today. You're immediately shaming yourself. You're being shamed externally because whatever you're doing isn't good enough. So I'm on a mission to remove the word should from our language because I don't actually see any positive use for the word should. Right. If we really need to take to a stretch where it's not necessarily a different word that I often replace it with, which is good or would, it might be shall, but that doesn't have the same shame to it. Right. But here's the thing. I just want people to remove the word should and replace it with could or would more times than not. So instead of saying I should have worked out this morning, ask yourself, what could I have done differently to make sure I worked out this morning? What would I do differently tomorrow? Right. Right. So just a simple shift in language. And all of a sudden we're not shaming ourselves. We're being future folks and objective versus retrospective and judging. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so it's very common. And I feel like it's it's a it's a coping mechanism, a coping tool to just say, okay, well, I didn't do it the day before. I haven't done it for the past three months. But as long as I say I should, it'll somehow make me feel better about not having done it for so long. But it doesn't. It makes you feel worse. 100%. Should 100%. never. I, I have never heard the word should where it makes somebody <laughs> feel better. Even parents, right? It's like, you shouldn't do that. Gosh, it's something I've done to my own kids. I've shamed my own kids by saying, you should show up this way in public. You shouldn't do that. I've 
fit into the bucket myself. But does that ever make them feel good? No, not a, not in any not in any case ever, right? No but way. instead, if I slow down long enough to say, "Hey, so what happened when you did that?" Oh, blah blah blah. Cool. Well, so what'd you learn? Blah blah blah. Great. What would you do differently next time? What could you do differently next time? Now all of a sudden, I've been future focused and objective with my kid, and it's not shaming; it's empowering. One hundred percent. It's it's just when I when I started working as a realtor my first year, I started to really understand the importance of language, the importance of oh, using yeah. the proper terminologies. It has such a big impact. People don't realize that when people say, um, even try is oh, yeah. it falls under a similar category, I think is really the same notion. Yeah. Because what does try really mean? Right? I, I, by the way, I wish more people would challenge what any word actually means. Right. I think we talk about the ones that are more damaging through the context of what we're talking about right now. But like, truly, these are things that we don't take the time to actually discuss or think about. Right. I mean, you've heard me talk about pain and suffering. I always define pain and suffering before I even talk about the concept. Right. We talk a lot about emotional triggers, behavioral patterns. Mm -hmm. We have to define what those are, at least from our lens. So there's contextual appropriateness for people to receive what we're going to communicate. Perspective is important because we all know that the same word can sometimes mean 15 different ways, depending on context, delivery, tone, right? So mm -hmm. we always have to start with a basic understanding to make sure that if we're going to communicate clearly, what are the definitions and understandings of the words that we're mutually using? So it's not even just being intentional with what words we use, but how do we clarify the understanding of a word that we're conversing around? Without a doubt, without a doubt. The, I, I, that brings me to the question of giving up versus giving in. Oh, because dude, even yeah. that, when I first, I, I looked at it a few days ago and I had a hard time understanding that before I saw it, because I said, okay, well, both of them sound kind of bad. When I first saw it, I said, I definitely don't like, don't like the concept of giving up. And before I even watched it, I was like, I wonder what he's going to talk about. So I tried to, before I even saw it, I said, okay, I'm definitely going to watch it, but let me see if I can, if I can, I kind of wanted to think about what it might've been about. So I said, yeah maybe giving up is the idea that if something really isn't going the way it should, you need to say, okay, well, it's not that I'm particularly quitting on this, but I'm trying to take my energy and focus it somewhere else that where it might be better. So yeah. kind of go into that a little. Yeah. So this is actually a really recent thought process for me. Um, so this is actually a fun one to be able to talk about because it's, it's like fresh new, new thought process, content, understanding uh, of even myself. Um, and it rooted really just a few weeks back. Um, I have had this pattern in my life where I have always felt this need to fight. Like I've always had to fight for everything, right? I have to fight to get what I want. I have to fight to overcome objections. I have to fight like opposition and oppression in my life. I have to fight the pain I deal with on a daily basis. Like I've got to fight the toxic shame and, and the insecurity and like the heightened ego that might walk in in certain rooms. I have to fight that stuff, right? Like it's, those aren't things that I want. And, and I've always had this belief like, yeah, right. Well, we're going to fight our way through things, right? I've literally so many times on my path up in life, like probably walked by escalators and elevators, even ladders, because I convinced myself I needed to crawl up the mountaintop, right? It's just, it's just what it is, right? So why this came to fruition is, I was fighting about three weeks ago in a deep amount of physical pain. I, it's something I deal with. I don't say this to like have anybody feel bad for me. Like it's not, I don't throw it around like, oh, I'm in so much. It's not even from comparison. It's just my reality, right? Pain is independent of the person experiencing it. So it's hard to measure except for the fact that we all experience it. I was in a lot of pain resulting from an injury I had a long time ago, right? And I'm up literally in the middle of the night. I'm up at 11 o'clock. And by 1.15 in the morning, I was still out in my gym doing body work just to get my body to loosen up so I could be in less pain, right? I have two hours a day of routine that I have to go through with my body just to get myself moving because I wake wow. up like a board every single day. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning this morning in pain. I was out of bed by four because I couldn't go back to sleep because the pain was too much. So what I did came and I spent the next two hours working on my body, right? I get angry at that sometimes. I get frustrated at that sometimes. I literally feel like I'm a fight in fighting constantly with my own body, right? Which is frustrating because I'm stuck inside. Like, why the fuck can't I escape this whole process? Okay. Yeah. By the way, please freely, freely use whatever fuck okay. shit. By the way, thank you. I was on two different shows in the last two days that were not like, okay with my natural language. 
please, so man, please. I encourage it completely. Yeah. So th- um, let it go. Let it. But, but literally, like, right? So I'm out here, and I'm. I. I. I there are many nights, many nights, and many mornings when I'm doing body work. I just get frustrated. Well, my wife, we've done a whole bunch of work in our household in the last six months. And the connection and intimacy that we have is like real. Okay. So she comes out and 1.15 in the morning. And first a year ago, she might not have done that. But where we're at right now, she was there to be by my side. Okay. And she sat by my side and literally just said something as simple as, you're not alone. Right. She knew I didn't want to be in that gym doing that at 1.15 in the morning. She knew that I was in massive amounts of pain. She knew I would rather be in bed sleeping next to her. Right. But instead, she knew I was doing what I needed to do so that I could function the next day. And I said to her in that moment, babe, I just want to give up some days. Like truly, like I just want to give up. And the next morning, she reiterated to me, babe, like you're not alone. I'm right here by your side. We're going to get through this. We're going to do this together. And the more she reaffirmed that, I realized a couple of things. One, I've been fighting my whole life. I said that before. But what I realized is like my goal in life is to neutralize and diffuse and bring people back to the middle. And also impact impact a billion people. A billion lives. That's, That's my mission in life. My goal, though, to do that and like a very specific way to do that is to unify versus separate. Right. I don't like the polarization and polarization on every single topic that exists in our world right now. I don't like the voices and narratives of the world that divide us. Right. I think the gift is in the gray area. So here's the thing I realized. I've been fighting for a very long time. But guess what? Fighting doesn't neutralize and diffuse. Fighting overtakes opposition. So what's the solution? Surrender. What's the real solution? Surrender and love. So the second part that I realized is it's not those moments that I waver on whether or not I'm going to give up. It's those moments I'm wavering on whether or not to give in, right? I can, I can give in to the pressure of the world. I can give in to the pain, right? I can give in to the narratives of the world. I can give in to those things and let them define me, direct me, and crush me. I can give in to those pressures that we all feel. Or I can give up those things. I can give up the relationship with pain that I have and develop a new one. I can give up the narratives of the world and develop my own. I can give up the perception of pressure and recognize that so much of that is fabricated and allow myself to actually channel things in a free flowing way in my life. So real quick, what's a good example in a, in a, in like a very deep way of something that you felt you've had to really give up some sort of pain that you've said you've seen, you've experienced it. Something like where you're talking about your physical pain and you've said, I, that's it. I give up with that. Uh, I gave up on the image that I had to portray to the world, right? I was the typical guy that chased the what's of the world, what house, what car, what amount of money. And guess what? I accomplished it all, right? I, I, I would often justify that because of my injury that I needed to get custom suits and do all these things. And by the way, when I say this, it's not to vilify anybody else who does this. It's just that it wasn't me, right? Right. But literally I would justify I had to get custom clothes to do this. Okay. Well, guess what? I could have gotten a $1,500 sport coat instead of a $3,500 sport coat. The $3,500 sport coat was to fit the image and impress people that I didn't care about. So I had to give up the perception that I needed to fit this mold to be accepted and viewed as who I was in the world, right? For sure. I gave into it for a long time, meaning I literally gave into it, right? I bought an Escalade when I was 30, just to show that I could, right? I literally had the custom suits and the house and the cars and the things. I gave into the pressure. I would drink in environments just to blend in because I was giving in in those moments. I wasn't standing up for who I was. I wasn't giving up those external pressures. So I had to give up the need to fit in and give up the need to be something that I wasn't so that I could be who I am. Okay. Um, At the same time, though, I want a nice car and I would argue, not argue, but I would say, and I don't have a problem arguing per se, but it's... It's a hard thing to determine. I think you would agree as an individual, whether the car, for instance, is something that you are more than not doing for other people, or if it's really, well, I love Escalades. So it's like, in terms of- By the way, that's about, that's what's important though. You asked me to give an example from me. I'm not saying you to give in or give up based on your desire for cars. Sure, sure, sure. I love cars, but I didn't buy that Escalade for me. Okay. 
Truly. So, I sold the Escalade two years later because it wasn't the car I, was, that was actually best fit for me, which instead was an F-250 because of the lifestyle I live. Gotcha. Again, I'm not vilifying the money. I'm not vilifying the nice things. I'm vilifying the intent behind it. Yes, I, I completely understand. Okay? And yeah. so that's what I'm saying. I'm giving examples from my life. Dude, I, I'm a full sleeve, backwards hat, mohawk, mustache, t-shirt, flip-flop wearing kind of guy. And by the way, I love that because I looked at your older pictures and that wasn't always your thing. No, because I literally gave in to who I felt I needed to be to be successful in this world. Right? You look at my, look at pictures from a year ago and I look like a different person. You and look at pictures I, from five years ago. You're going to be like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> like truly. And I, totally and different, I man. You had like the classic, and, the classic haircut. You had that classic boring haircut. And then now you got that whole thing. You got the stash. You got the tats. I like it. And you know what? And I'm getting a bunch of shit for this look too, but I don't give a fuck because this is who I am. Who gives a shit, dude? 100%. But but, but that's my point is I always was insecure being somebody that I wasn't, even though I fit the mold. Now I don't fit the mold. I'm a walking contradiction. But guess what? I don't give a shit anymore. I I had to give up my, my desire to care what other people thought about who I was. I love this conversation so much because I grew up a, an Orthodox Jew and and I, I grew up moderately religious. I wasn't crazy ultra orthodox, whatever. I my grandmother raised me, and I, you know, I didn't. It wasn't a thing where I couldn't hang out with women, or I had to wear a certain dress code. It was pretty laid back, but we had a pretty tight. And regardless of whatever religious or traditional community you live in, whether it be Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, there are certain. It doesn't matter. All of them are, have different confines that exist. Right. So, yep. so tats or certain other things were just absolute no nos, and you you're confined to these restrictions where you're. For many people, they never get out of that box their entire Correct. lives. And it takes this real level of internal understanding. And, 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 and I don't give a fuck to be able to say, I'm only getting one of these lives. I'm not getting another one. Maybe there's an afterlife. Maybe there isn't. Who the hell knows? But ultimately, we're living in the now. And it's like, if you don't come to that conclusion some point sooner than later, you're going to end up at 70, 80 years old. And it's going to suck. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're spot on. It's interesting. We were sitting uh, on my back patio the other night with a couple of our leadership team. And, you know, we all have different faiths. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different ethnicities. We all have different socioeconomic classes, right? And it's like, we talk, I talk often about, I mean, literally just the makeup of our team is a representation of how diverse and eclectic this world is, right? And how we can build relationships across silos, by just focusing on the human experience outside of the belief systems that we've built to protect ourselves. Right. So religion, by the way, I'm not saying it's fabricated or that we've built it. There's all different. And you can, but I'm, tr- like. I'm more traditional nowadays and you know, you're free. But, but what I'm going to say, my point is, is like, I'm not ever going to tell somebody what their religion means to them. Right. right. I don't like, I'm not going to tell them what religion, what religion, what spirituality, what any of those things mean to them. Because, oh, by the way, just like we talked about with definitions before, you talk about Muslim, you talk about Christian, you talk about Catholic. There's about 50 different definitions of each one of those. Oh, right? You talk about Jewish. It doesn't matter. Session what, so, understatement. so the thing is, is we try to label based on these religions, but there's 50 shades of different colors within those religions. Right. Like, and I don't mean colors of skin. I mean, colors of just people in general, oh, yeah, like, dude, 50, all different so shades and varieties of like what it means to be Jewish or Muslim or Christian or so the point is, is like what we look at is <clears throat> why don't we just start talking universal human truths, right? The universal human experience is rooted in four things. I don't care what religion we are. This is what we all experience. We are all hardwired and desire to want to feel safe. We are hard, all hardwired and desired to want to feel protected. And those are not the same thing. We are all hardwired and desired to feel seen and understood. And we are all hardwired and desired to want to be connected. Connected to ourselves well, and connected to other people. Well, real quick, you said safe and protected are different. So if you don't mind I'll kind explain. of going into that. Okay. Safe is like, hey, I, I'm in a good part of town. And it doesn't matter who I'm with or what I'm doing if I'm by myself. Like, I'm safe. And I feel safe. Right? It might be, hey, I'm not in a good part of town. Am I by myself? If I'm with somebody that can protect me? Right? Literally, like protection can also be like, hey, do I as a leader create a protected space for my team to feel vulnerable and authentic? Right. If I don't create a protected space for them to feel safe, then they're going to try to protect themselves with their own armor. They're not the same thing. Right. And so what what happens in so much of these cases now? I was on a track and then you asked me to explain the safe and protected. What were we chatting about? Bring me back because my brain just blipped for a second. Safe and protected. 
Oh, what we- we're talking about the silos though, right? We were talking about like religions okay. and different definitions. Right, right, right. right. Yes, yes, yes. The reality of it is, is whatever labels we're putting on, whatever belief systems we operate under, they're systems that we've developed to help ourselves feel safe and protected. Right. To be within a community where we can feel like we're going to be seen and understood. To make sure that we can feel connected. Yet within those religions, there's so much controversy between even what you just said, right? I, and I'm not Jewish, so I'm not going to speak about Judaism and what it means. But like within being Jewish, there's Orthodox. There's different levels of Orthodox. There's sure, different understandings sure. of what that means. There's different belief systems even with that. And by the way, there are Orthodox Jews that will look at you and believe that you are absolutely going to burn no matter what. 100%. 100%. Right? And so even within our own silos that we've created to believe and protect ourselves and see seen and connected, we still have armor and walls because... We start to isolate closer and closer to people that we can feel like are like us instead of feeling comfortable in who we are. But that's the paradox, by the way. That's what's so difficult because human nature, we're so tribal in so many respects. You know, we, we yeah. like to be with other like-minded people. But why, right? Because of those four things. Right, right, right. We all are that way because we want to be safe, protected, seen, understood, and connected. And we so never get connected, by the way, unless the first three exist. Right. So when the first three don't exist, think about why so many people feel isolated, alone in their own homes, with their families, in their own places of faith, in their own businesses. How many people feel not connected? Because we don't actually operate right in the ability to be exactly who we are, not what the world has told us to be. So So why I'm so avid on this mission, why I'm willing to be a walking contradiction with a guy who walks around with a mohawk, mustache, tattoos and painted toenails right? Like, cool. That's who I am. I don't want to hurt anybody. I have no desire to damage anybody. When I say I don't fucking care, I care deeply about other people and how I make them feel. But if somebody's going to judge me or not accept me because of who I am, knowing that I lead with my heart to serve and help other individuals based on my external appearance or the way I show up, well, okay, I'm just going to show them some love. I don't need to fight that anymore. It's based in surrender because guess what? Giving up is actually surrender. So fighting overtakes opposition, surrender neutralizes and diffuses it. I'm just tired of fighting myself and I'm tired of fighting other people and I'm tired of fighting systems, right? So the reality of it is anytime there's resistance and energy in my world, I'm seeking to figure out how to remove it as quickly as possible. Yeah. So really giving up from what I'm understanding is to a large degree, not giving a fuck in the sense of just, I don't need that in my life. It's not necessary. That's correct. It's giving up on traditional beliefs, traditional feelings, traditional emotions, and it's replacing them with new ones. A hundred percent. So I, I, you, I wanted to, to come back a little bit and I have a couple of very, very yeah, yeah, good questions. When we were talking about marriage, so I've been, I'm very into understanding male and female psychology, you know, because in many respects we're different in many respects we're, we're similar. And when it comes to a, a long-term relationship, there is the idea that that primally or naturally we should be the protector, the provider, the 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 shoulder to cry on, right? In a sense where we're the we have the masculine energy, right? And and if we become too too feminine in our energy, in a sense where if we come home from a really we had a really tough day, work work just sucked that day, you know. Or if you're employed, you have a boss that you hate, and you come home and you go, honey you know, fuck, I had a horrible day and you find yourself doing this day in and day out and you're really just constantly venting. I have this notion and I honestly believe this. And this is why I want to ask you this is I feel like maybe at a certain point, your wife may feel like, Hey, I kind of want to come to you for this. And if you're always the one complaining to me, then where do I go? You know? So I've always had this feeling of, and it's not always, but my contradiction is I know it's important to be able to open up to your spouse but it's especially in society, it's accepted that the woman should be able to vent and spill her emotions. But as a man, you should have this stoic. I'm yeah, going to handle the, my problems. That's one of the narratives I'm trying to break down, brother. Right. Like literally, like if you look at man box culture, right. It's like, don't feel it's be tough. It's be gruff. It's be strong. It's move fast. It's provide financially. It's right. Like be buff. Right. It's, it's, right. it's like certain things. Don't paint your toenails. Right. Like legitimately, like there's man box culture. that's like, this is what it looks like to be a man. And from the time we're little, right, we're raised to believe, like, if we don't do these things, we're not manly. Mm -hmm. Truly. Like, so we also start buying into those narratives, believing like, oh, this is what it means to be a man. So if I want to be a man, right, I can't, I can't paint my toenails. (laughs) I'm using this example real time because it's perfect, right? Like, reality of it is, it's true. 
again, guess what? We are all human beings and we all have masculine and feminine energy. I know a lot of men don't want to admit that. They don't want to believe that. But guess what? Your, your spouses, your wives also have masculine energy in them. We literally both produce estrogen and testosterone, even the hormones. We both produce them naturally. We possess masculine and feminine energy. Bro, Why don't we look at say? ourselves? Go ahead. Wouldn't what? you say that as men, we have a lot more of one than the other and vice versa, though? There's no doubt. But the point right. is, is if we're denying that the other one exists within us, then we're denying our complete self. Sure. So if we say to ourselves, we cannot be emotional and process things with our spouse because we should be this. Again, the word should. Right? right. Then all of a sudden we're denying a part of ourselves. Guess what? We are feeling dynamic human beings. Do men express emotion the same way? Typically not. Part of that's conditioned. Part of that's just we're raised differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Part of that's what we're naturally born into. But the reality of it is, is like we all feel, but we're taught not to. Right. Especially as men. It's how often do we hear? Don't cry. Shouldn't cry. Knock those tears off your face. Toughen up. Be a man. Right. We're telling five year old boys to be a man. Really? No, they're not a man until they're 18. Right. They may become more manly. They may be young men younger than that. But we're telling men, be a man. Stop crying early in life. We condition it in them. I believe it's completely different. If you desire to feel connected in your relationship, you need to not only be providing protection, you need to be protected, meaning mm -hmm. you need a wife that will give you a safe space to land. So how far right? do you go with that, though? That's my, that, that, so that's as far the as you is. and your partner are willing to take it, because I will tell you that from my standpoint, what I will tell you is 15 years into marriage, 10 years, in, sorry, 11 years into marriage, 15 years into being together. This is just my perspective. I'm not saying this okay. is going to work for every marriage. This yeah, is yeah I'm, I'm hearing you. Yeah, yeah. Right? 15 years together, we have created more intimacy, and I don't just mean that sexually, in this last year than at any other point in our relationship. And the reality of it is intimacy is rooted in vulnerability and surrender, ironically enough. Right? The reality of it is, is even in most relationships and marriages, what happens? We are getting raised from different backgrounds. We inherit different sets of genetic code. We literally get brought up in different environments. We establish different behavioral patterns, most of which we inherit based on the household that we're, bought, we're, we're raised in, right? And then we meld these households, right? And we're like, now we're going to go start life together, right? But, oh, by the way, you're going to come into the house and you've got a very specific way that you load the dishwasher because that's just how you've always done it. And she's got a different way, right? You might have a certain way of doing laundry or you've never done laundry because it's always been done for you. And now there's an expectation that she does it. And in her house, the women never did them. I'm fabricating completely, obviously, as I'm speaking. Gotcha, you. gotcha. These are just, I'm pulling these things out, right? You're sitting here going like, no, are you, have you been spying on me? What's going on? <laughs> right? No, but the point is, is like we come into these things and guess what? We all desire to feel safe, protected, seen, and connected. In our own relationships, there is conflict. Early in our relationship, I was raised in a house where my parents are pretty OCD. They're very particular. I was raised to believe there's a certain way to do everything. Not because they told me that, but because that's what I experienced. So mm -hmm. we start into our relationship. I'll bring it back to the dishwasher example I threw on you. This one was actually from me, right? She'd put something in the dishwasher in a different place. And I would make it, hey, have you ever thought about doing it that way? She viewed it from a position of control. I viewed it from a position of care and help. Okay. Same intent, like same conversation, same situation, completely different perspective. She felt it was coming from a place of control. So what did she do? She didn't feel safe or protected. She puts her own armor up, gets upset, reacts to me because I'm trying to control how she's loading the dishwasher. Like, just let me do it. Let me fucking do it. Right. What happens? She asks me another example, right? My own emotional trigger and how I communicate. Okay. My wife, and this is our old pattern, would say, hey, what are we going to do with the kids this weekend? Now, my shame filter, because being a husband and father is the most important thing to me, would hear that as she's implying that I'm not a good husband and father, that I haven't spent enough time with my kids this week. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? My shame triggers my defensiveness, which triggers a little bit of temper and anger. I heighten my energy and I react and respond by listing the 10 things I've done in the last four days to show how good a husband and father I've been. Again, I put her on the defensive. I heard it for something that was different. All she wanted to know is, are we going to hang out with the kids this weekend? That makes and I took sense. it from like, she's implying, she's throwing a bomb at me. I put my armor up. Guess what? Then I caused her to put hers up. Do you think either one of us see each other in that moment, understand each other in that moment or connected in that moment? Hell no. Do either one of us feel safe by the other person? Hell no. How are we ever going to have intimacy if we can't have emotional feeling-based conversations? Because now what happens is when she asks me a question like that, I can frame and be like, hey, babe, what you just asked me, I got triggered and I just want to clarify it. 
what you intended by that question. Or I can say, hey, babe, I got triggered, but I know that that's on me and I know what you're intending. I think I can navigate this situation through the rest of our conversation. But if I can't, I may need to pause and we'll come back to it later. Or I could say, hey, I got triggered. I need to walk away from five minutes. And then can we finish? Can I answer your question after I can calm my own emotions? When yeah, I can take sense. control of the fact that I can be vulnerable and real to accept that, yeah, I struggle. Yeah, I get triggered. Yeah, I have things. Yeah, I have shitty days at work. Yeah, I have physical pain that causes me to be short with my family. Happened this morning, bro. Literally, I was on edge this morning in my house because I was in pain this morning. I, sna- I, I reacted to my daughter. I didn't snap. I didn't do anything, but she, she felt the energy, right? And I got the opportunity to instead have a conversation with her and say, hey, baby, like daddy's hurting really bad this morning. And I did not mean you to receive the energy that came at you. I didn't yell That's at her. That's so big. Okay. I didn't anything, right? But like, again, as a man, it's more powerful when you can actually own your emotions. 100%. I hear, I hear what you're saying. I... I'm very grateful to my grandmother because whenever she punished me and she never, she never hit me, but whenever she told me to go to my room or she, she decided I wouldn't get something, she always would come into my room and explain why she did what she did. She'd be like, yeah. she would ask me, she would ask me first. She wouldn't even tell me. She'd be like, do you know why I did this and that? And I would, when I was younger, I liked the silent treatment. That was my thing. I would ignore her. And she, and she would come over. She'd sit down next to me. And every single time she asked me, she waited for my answer. And I, and I knew the answer. And that was what worked well. And, and ultimately, you're, you make very, very, very good sense when you can articulate that. I think you're, it's, it's really, it's, it's something you have to work on, obviously. Some people, I think, have it better. Oh, it takes tons those. of work. It takes tons of work. Like, yeah. So many but people We try to do that same that. thing in our house. We try to have, again, if we create unintentional damage, we look to seek repair with our kids. Again, my daughter, I react. She, honestly, she jumped out to scare me when I walked around the corner and I reacted at her. And I was like, babe, why did you do that? I don't like to be scared. That's literally what I said to her, right? right? And it had a strong energy to it. She started crying. Now I could look at that and be like, stop crying. You jumped out and scared me. How dare you? But instead I said to her, I said, sweetie, I'm sorry I reacted that way. You genuinely scared me and I'm, I'm, I'm hurting this morning. And so yeah. you, I didn't have as much patience to like look at it. And all of a sudden she was like, oh, dad, I didn't know you were in pain this morning. My six-year-old daughter said that to me. Dad, I didn't know you were in pain this morning. Right? And she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have if you didn't say field. anything. Again, and, and again, had I not said something, she would have been like, what did I do? Why did dad react that way? What did yeah. I do? Like, I'm a bad person. I can't play with dad. I can't jump out and scare him and play with him. Right? So I unintentionally created damage. So I sought to create repair. And then we do the same thing when we discipline. We'll ask the question. It's like, hey, do you know why we did that? The other thing we always clarify is we want to make sure that they understand we're not disciplining them based on who they are. We're disciplining them based on a choice they made. Very, very different. Yes, yes. Right? So how often do we as parents say things as simple as like, how could you do that? I can't believe you didn't think about that. Right? Like a reaction, sometimes with intensity and raised voice, sometimes just in that, right? But immediately it's like, how could you do that? Right? Instead of like slowing down and just saying like, hey, can you tell me what led to you making the decision to do that? Like just change the language a little bit. And all of a sudden you slow your kid down to think about it. Right. So smart because, because just to expound on that, you're, you're not putting it as if they're the problem. You're questioning why someone, and you're showing them that you respect and love that person. Why with your thought process, you're an intelligent person. You're my child that I love. Why would you, what caused you to make that decision? Being who you are, being someone I love, as opposed to why did you do that stupid? It's, it's a totally, it has a totally different connotation. Dude, I'm guilty of it myself. So I'm sitting Oh, you're human, man. I know. I want to be very, very clear. Like, I'm not sitting here like, this is how to be a perfect parent. Dude, I'm fucking my kids up every day, I'm sure. No one thinks right? that. I don't think, whoever does But But, I, but I, I want to say it for anybody that's listening. Like, this is not me preaching. This is me applying real time. Because I just told you, I did this this morning, right? Like, dude, it's just, it's, I'm trying to recognize where and how do we create repair as much as possible. And I don't want my kids to ever think that like their choices will make my love dependent. Mm-hmm. I love them for who they are. I may not always approve of their choices. There's a very big difference. And I want my kids to understand that always. The difference is that you're conscious of it and you work on it where so many parents don't. Correct. It's all about awareness. And that's, yeah. And that's such a big difference. I, so, so with that said, though, where do you feel the line comes in where you have to have that masculine energy to just not even maybe, maybe you feel that everything needs to be explained or asked in a sense, but when is it just like, hey, no, this isn't happening. When does, you know, when does, uh, 
When do the, so there, there are certain times like when we're disciplining kids, for example, right. Where like the strong dad energy just needs to happen. Right. Like they, they just the relationship that they have with us, like my wife, myself, right. There's just a very big difference. Cause when dad, like when dad, like said something firmly, especially to my benefit with the strength of my voice and the power and the energy and the passion that I communicate with, like in my house, like when I say something, they're like, okay. Like we're, we're, and, and not from fear. Cause I don't hit my kids and I don't, I don't, I intentionally go out of my way. And if I ever feel like I scare my kids, I make sure to ask them, did daddy scare you? And if they say, mm-hmm. yes, I try to tell them that that was not what I intended. And I apologize. I never want them to feel unsafe. So where I think the male role for me always takes wow. place is I think it's my responsibility to protect my house, protect my house financially, protect my house spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. Right. That does not mean that I don't also get protected by my wife in the ways that she can take care of me. But I view it in my household as that is my job to make sure that the three of them are solid. In every category. And oh, by the way, that's the only thing that will make me walk away from impacting a billion lives by 2045 is if my wife and kids aren't good. You mentioned I believe that that is my sole responsibility is to protect them. Right. Because if I protect them, then they can feel safe. They can feel seen and understood. They can feel connected and they will know that who they are is perfect and they'll have permission to live their own truth. If I protect them viciously, right? Mm. If I protect their ability. The reason I started painting my toenails is because my son liked painting his because he grew up in a house with a mom and a daughter that loved painting toenails. Guess what? Dad was working for the first parts of his life. He likes those things. And he's also on the autism spectrum. And so gender roles are not normal for him. He said, dad, how come you don't paint your toenails? And I said, because it doesn't make my heart happy, bro. But if it makes your heart happy, I'll defend you always. And I would. There would be people that make comments about his toenails. And I'd be like, he likes it. Leave him alone about it. I was, I'm going to be his strength. He can borrow mine, right, until he gets his own. Now, mm. in this case, he was down on himself. So I decided to paint my toenails six months ago. Funny enough, it did make my heart happy. I looked down and I was like, huh, I kind of like that. And then for me, I'm on my physical journey for healing. I'm fixing my own relationship with my body and my pain as we speak. Self-care is not something I'm great at. Even though I spend two hours a day, it's a job and something I have to do. I haven't been able to shift it to a positive place. So why do right. I keep my toenails painted? It's a visual reminder for me because if I look down and my, those toenails are chipped, those toenails are grown out, guess what? That means I haven't taken care of myself in seven to 10 days. So for me now, it's a visual reminder. And I have a lot of people ask me like, why do you, why do you paint your toenails? I was like, well, it started because of my son. Now I like it. And it helps me with my self-care because it allows me to remind myself, like if that's grown out, that means I'm not taking care of myself. Interesting. And so for me, like that, that's just like where it is. But again, man box culture says that's not okay. Yeah. But I, I honestly wouldn't be able to do it. Son, I had to allow my son to feel protected knowing that another man in his world would wear it proudly. Guess what? My son has never questioned whether or not he's ever put toenail polish back on his toes again. And I don't really care. I want him to do what makes him happy because I've also told him, I said, again, and we're putting no label on it. Like there are straight men that like to paint their toenails. There's men who are interested in men who like to paint their toenails. There's men who are interested in everybody who like to paint their toenails. And by the way, there's men in each one of those categories that don't like to paint their toenails. So you do you, bro. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. It's dude. It's a different perspective. It's like, it's something that for, for me definitely is like totally different. So I, I, dude, I respect it. Do you hundred percent. Thank God we live in a free country. That's why we're so passionate about this is because I mean, dude, that's not the world I lived in for so long. Neither the world I lived in so was, long was, was to do what everybody else was, which was to chase the what's and buy into the shoulds and lose who I was in the process. It's just yeah. as I've gotten back to claiming who I am and I know the contrast and the difference, I know what it's like to be over here and miserable and stuck and isolated and lonely and knowing that I'm living a life not for myself, but for other people in the external image, right? Sure. And then over here, I experienced joy, freedom and fulfillment and everybody deserves to feel this. So like I'm on a mission to help people understand, like, why do we fit into these narratives and these structures? Why do we buy into man box culture? Why do I buy into masculine and feminine roles? There's a lot of reasons why. I'm just asking people to think about it. That's it. I just want you to think about it. And how does it align for you? Mm-hmm. Because just because that's how the world operates doesn't mean that's how you have to operate. Right. I hear you. I, I definitely do have a pretty strong feeling of masculine and feminine because I do believe, even though a lot of it is nature and nurture, I do also think it is a certain wiring. So it kind of gets I, tricky. I agree. I agree. Right. Yeah, definitely gets tricky, but I do think nowadays, and this is something I'm, I'm pretty uh, kind of s- serious with, and I love hearing other opinions, um, but in terms of 
how things have happened in the last couple of years, I do believe that in a certain, to a certain degree, men have become in a, to a sense, in a sense, more feminized. And I think women have become more masculine to a certain level. And I think that there are a lot of people that are having trouble with that. I think with that said, what you've said about men being more open in relationships is important. I do think at the same time, it's important for a man to have his masculine frame and it, because there's such a gray area there, I believe it's important for a man to have his masculine frame in the regard of, I should care. I should take care of my fitness. I should be in shape and not to say that a woman shouldn't, but to his own way, meaning yeah. as a man, I should try my best to be in my peak performance, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, I should have my money right because I do believe as the man. And again, this can be easily argued. This is my feeling as the man. I want to be the, the provider where if my wife wants to work, she can, if she doesn't, she shouldn't have to. That's how I, that's how I see it. Um, I believe I should be the physical provide the physical, uh, caretaker where God forbid, if, if anything happens, I'm the one responsible for taking care of yep. the home. So those are, those are traditional. Those Did are you traditional listen to the words you used as you listed those? Which this isn't I a believe. challenge. It's just an awareness moment. Two thirds of the descriptions, descriptions you gave said I should. So it goes That's back to point. the whole point is, is, and so all I'm trying to challenge is I agree with you completely in masculine and feminine energies. I agree with you completely. It's causing a lot of divide that there's a mixed bag now. And there's a lot of people that don't know how to deal with that. Right. All I'm suggesting is focus on what you want as it relates to those energies. Right. I just want people to do them. Right. So sure. if what it means for you is like to be a man for me means to provide financially, then that's what I want to do. But what you said is I should be doing this. I my, think I my, do it to sound whole less point. And by right, the way, that's not being right, right. critical of you. That's a hundred percent around again. There are narratives that drive what we believe we should be doing, who we should be. And often we neglect who we want to be and who we are. And so what I'm trying to get people to do is I agree with you. Yeah. You need to understand what is your masculine role. I just told you what it means to have a masculine energy and when to be firm in my house. I'm Mm -hmm. very clear on what that looks like for me. But by the way, that line for me might not be the same for other people. I know that 99% of Men are not going to paint their toenails. I'm not yeah, that's not something I would do, do. But a live and let live. You do it, makes you happy. But that's my it. point. I also yeah. said at one point that it didn't make my heart happy. I didn't do it because I never did. And I thought it was something I didn't want to do. And then I did mm-hmm. it and I was like, oh, cool. Again, I'm not trying to convince people to do what I do. I'm trying to convince people to challenge the norms of what they believe they should be and listen to who they want to be. Absolutely. That's it. In every category, religion masculinity and femininity politics like i don't care what category i'm talking about the human experience at what point did we lose the ability to focus on who we are versus the roles we should play i think it's because it's a lot easier to follow somebody than to decide your own fate it hurts you know? to be you yes. and, and, and get hit from every angle with yes people giving because neg- it comes negativity so much- and criticism right it sucks it's easier to follow a dress code, follow. And we're not, I'm not going to shit on religion here, even though I have my quarrels, whatever. It's the idea of let me just follow what these other people are doing because that's what I've been raised to do. That's what I'm comfortable doing. I'll get less criticism. I'll be in my own little box. But then on the other side, it's, well, nobody knows my gifts. I've worked for the same, for the same shitty boss for 25 years. Make choices for themselves. Sucks, You're man. right it sucks, man. And this is what I'm going into. This is what I actually leads me to, to another question of why do so few people go after their life purpose? Why they, they spend their entire lives doing things they cannot stand to do. So what, why do you think that? I think it's because of everything we've been talking about. I think that people lack the ability to feel like they can live their truth. I don't think that they feel that there's a world around them because even you say it, it's like, it's really hard to do this stuff. It sucks. You get beat up. Yeah, it is hard. Right. That's where my, one of my core philosophies came in. It's like embrace pain to avoid suffering. I love it. Oh, I remember this. It's phenomenal. But the reality of it is, is like the reality, we don't want to admit that suffering exists when it's a direct result of our choices. But guess what? Every time you deny the fact that you don't lean into the dream job that you want to create, you don't take that chance and risk to build the business that you want. You don't have that tough conversation with a wife or a spouse or a husband or a kid, right? You don't, you don't take the time to actually put yourself through therapy so you can feel your traumas and your wounds so that you can feel and heal. Like if you don't do those things, you will suffer. Right. If you don't challenge what I'm sorry, hold your thought. I just want to like, I'm I'm getting so excited. 
regardless of whether you do it or not, it's going to suck anyhow. At least enjoy the, at least do it, do the thing that's going to suck now, but it's going to give you that awesome, phenomenal feeling later. That's the point. It's going to be, be it's going to be hard either way. That's what's but so people hard are for afraid. me to understand. They're afraid to walk know, their own yeah. path. They're afraid right. to step outside of the boxes that have been created for them. Because you're right, it's easier to follow. It's easier to blend into the crowd. But what's interesting to me is most of the time when people blend into the crowd, they feel more alone than they did when they weren't even in the crowd. A hundred percent. And so all I'm trying to get people to do, again, I'm not vilifying religion, politics, any of it. There's right. great, and I, by the way, I'm not even taking a stance on which side to believe. I don't care. I want people to 100%. truly just think and feel for themselves because that is the route to freedom, right? I believe that the route to most suffering that we experience in this world is rooted in four things. The things that are left unsaid, the things we don't feel permission to feel or say, the things we lack to articulate, or the things that are left undone. We can walk through any one of those categories as it relates to religion, politics, anything for people in those categories. People get stuck because they fit inside the box instead of create their own. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I, that's a big goal of my podcast. Is And, and I started this on August 24th, 2020. Haven't missed an episode since. I absolutely love doing this. Love doing this. I get, I enjoy this so much for so many different reasons. Um, and a big reason, probably the primary reason I love this so much is because it allows me to be me and express that outwardly. Yeah. And because for so long, I mean, thank God I can say proudly that for quite a long time, I really have been doing the things I, I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of friends that don't, honestly, and I love them dearly and they do their thing. They live their lives and I really think they're very happy in their own way. Um, but when it comes to certain societal norms, I'm more willing to kind of jump out and do something out of the box where a decent number of them wouldn't do that sort of thing. Because for them, it's that's that's not traditional. Like that's just too out there. But I know at the end of the day, there are things they do want to do. And I do also believe that with this podcast and with being the person I am, that it helps them to step out of their own thing as well. So that's a, that's a big focus. And I, I, well, that, that, that's one of my, I mean, that's, that's my purpose in life is to allow my truth to give others permission to live theirs. Right. So, so the more you express who you are, the experiences that you have, the more you lean into vulnerability and authenticity, which is the glue that binds human connection, the more people will follow and the more you're going to have a ripple effect in the work that you do. Absolutely. Right. That's why when I say a billion lives, I don't I'm not afraid of that number. It's bold and it's ambitious. But the ripple effect is where that happens. Right. Sure. You experience one thing that improves your life. Everybody you touch from that moment is impacted. I know that seems like a loose way to hit it. But truly, if there's one thing that you improve in your relationship today, it'll impact your your marriage. It'll likely impact the ripple effect in friendships in both sides of your household. Right. Like just little things we understand the ripple effect of every moment every breath every interaction matters and so that's where the collective impact comes from that's so powerful i remember seeing something recently that said don't give up there are a lot of people who are, who are inspired by you something along those lines yeah and if you stop and they've been inspired by you and they're they're looking forward to your next piece of content your next speech your next event anything that you're working on that you're passionate about and all of a sudden it abruptly comes to a halt and I mean, if something came up or whatever it is, but if you just cut a cold turkey and it was going well and you're passionate about it, people would say, but dude, I was, I was kind of my, my, I was getting my strength from you and now you just dropped it. And it's, and for some people it's, it's huge. It's a matter of life and death for yeah. certain people. So the thing, and, the, the only thing I want to caveat on what you just said, cause I agree with you completely. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. I want to give one clarification. If someone is in a position where others are inspired by them and they, that person who inspires others needs a reset, grace, time, perspective for themselves to breathe, to heal, to rest and recharge. I will always encourage that person to still be selfish enough to focus on what they need. Right. I think I wherever like we can put lot, ourselves actually. in a position to that's serve, shot, yeah. that's great. But I know that for myself, unless I am receiving and constantly finding ways to recharge and refill my own energy resources, my soul, my heart, I can't pour it of an empty cup. Putting and on so the that'll be the one first. pivot is you're right. I think what the intent behind that message is that I often listen to is truly like, there's a lot of people who think that their voice and their message isn't worthy enough to help other people. 
And so what I want to encourage is there are people watching everyone, whether they're a content creator, an influencer, a thought leader or not, right? People are watching. It could literally be your kid. It could be your neighbor kid that watches the discipline you have to take your neighbor's trash can out every week because they're too old and can't. Like genuinely, like anybody that we interact with, we could be impacting. And so that I think is the intent of that is that your story, your experience, your perspectives and your voice, your story matter. It's worthwhile. So there's so many people that are like, oh, Brian, like, and we didn't even talk about my story. It's like, Brian got his arm ripped off. I can't compare it to his story. You're right. You can't, but I can't compare to yours. Everybody has their own. So that's what I want to also reinforce is you're right. Through the exact lens that you described it, I just, I want to support that a thousand percent. There are people that if I stopped today, they would have more pain in their world. I can't do pain to myself only for other people. Make sense? So accurate. I, I like that you added that. I like the caveat because it's, it, what I said, uh, I'm glad you agree. I definitely, I definitely agree with what I said. Um, but essentially people could take that and, and miss out on what you said. And I think that's very, I just want to expand because, on it. So it's a whole, yeah, a hundred percent. Cause you got to put the mass, the oxygen mask on yourself first. If something's going on and you need that time off or you need to reevaluate something, you have to really be able to look out for yourself as well. So I, I, I appreciate that you added that. It's very important. It's good yep. to not lose sight of that. For sure. Uh, there's so much, there's so much else. I mean, I definitely, we're, we're 53, about 50 minutes in. So uh, we'll, we'll let it, we'll let it off here. I, I look forward to, to keeping in contact. I, I appreciate what you've said and you've added a lot of value to me. I hope everyone listening has gotten tons of value. Um, so definitely thanks for having, thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah. Guys, make sure to subscribe, like, share, check out all of Brian's social media. You, I guarantee you, you'll get tons of value. And I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. My pleasure. Talk to you soon.